0: Right, this is awesome. Uh, that is uh, the big event, that probably our greatest outreach to our community, that brings in folks who uh, maybe don't know Jesus, and uh, they see Jesus first. That's the rule. You have to see Jesus before you get to go see Santa. So we make that a, a condition of it. Uh, and He is the, Jesus is the star of it all. We're glad you're here today. My name is Randy, and uh, we are wrapping up a series today that we've been in for a few weeks now. If you haven't been with us, we've been talking about. Living the dream uh, for about, I think this was eight weeks uh, that we're finishing up today. And we've been building a foundation and talking about how do we manage what God's given us. God's been so good to us. And yet it's easy for us sometimes to, uh, the dream, the, the blessing that God has for us, sometimes to not live that out and to be kind of foolish with the way that we handle our blessings and our finances. And so we've been talking about principles and practices throughout this study. And we're going to wrap that up today. Uh, before, before we do that, though, I just want to remind you of a couple things is next week is uh, next Sunday is Christmas Day, uh, which is awesome. We'll be, be having church at 11, just one service, and uh, we have our Christmas Eve service the day before at 3.30, uh, so we hope you'll join us for one of those services and uh, that you guys have an awesome um, weekend and uh, that you be careful out there. Uh, the other thing I want to share uh, is just that we had uh, talked about earlier a few weeks ago that if you want to give a special gift uh, toward the end of the year uh, that we just had some HVAC issues this year that we will apply all that toward. uh, So we just appreciate your generosity toward those. Um, Let's jump in today. We're going to be talking about the uh, last practice uh, in this series, and that is about giving, which is a great time of the year to talk about that, right? How could you find a better occasion to wrap up like this? And uh, this is the season for giving. Maybe you've heard of Secret Santa. You don't hear as much about him Uh, as you did a few years ago, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, But uh, Secret Santa, there was this anonymous person who traveled around and handed out $100 bills around Christmas time. Maybe you heard about him. And uh, he would hand out about $25,000 a year just randomly passing out money to people. Don't you wish you could run into him at some point? Uh, But nobody really knew who he was for a long time. Now, the story of Secret Santa goes back to like 1971, well, this young man, a salesman, uh, was not doing so well. He had lost his job. He was in a small diner in Kansas City, Missouri, and he had, um, not, didn't have any money, hadn't eaten for a day or so. He decided he was going to get something to eat. So he goes in, he orders a huge breakfast, knowing he didn't have any money to pay for it. The owner of that cafe was a man by the name of Tom Horn. Tom had a good heart, and he kind of watched this young man. He was nervous. Uh, Because he knew that this guy didn't have any money or didn't seem to, and the plan was at the end of the meal to get up and pretend he had left his wallet or lost it, and so he got up and started fishing around. And Tom had anticipated this, so he slipped over and handed the guy a twenty-dollar bill and said, "I I think you may have dropped this." And uh, the guy who would become Secret Santa realized that Tom had saved his face and saved dignity by paying for his meal, and so uh, he promised himself and promised God that if he ever got wealthy, he was going to pay it forward. He was going to be very generous, and that's exactly what happened. Fast forward to 1999. By this time, Secret Santa had been doing, uh, had already started a little bit, but there was one uh, payback he wanted to make, and so Secret Santa went to Mississippi where he found Tom Horn, and he walked in and handed him a check for $10,000, He said that was pretty good interest on a $20 investment through the years. But then he began handing out money and handed out in his lifetime, or in this uh, few years, about $1.3 million. And he did that beginning in Kansas City, but it went all over the United States. Now, finally, Secret Santa revealed his identity uh, because he developed cancer. His name was Larry Stewart from Kansas City and uh, he got cancer, and he knew he was going to die. In fact, he did die in 2007, but he wanted his legacy of giving to be passed forward. You know, I love that story, and uh, you don't hear a lot about the Secret Santas, but we know that people are generous, especially about this time of year. I know uh, every now and then I hear about, you know, something will come over my desk, like I need, somebody needs something, and, and there's just a lot of people who rush to take care of that, and a lot of you folks have big hearts like that. What I, what I discover is that this is the time of year everyone likes to give. I was working uh, Thursday in the uh, food bank here locally, and uh, I'm telling you, they got a great operation there. But one of the ladies said, you know what, we are swamped with food. She said, I wish that people would give year-round like they give around Christmas time. You know, everybody wants to give, but I guess there are other times that they get kind of low on their food level. But nobody, you know, everybody loves the idea of giving. And Nobody's going to argue about giving, that it's a great thing to do. And There are times when we're all just kind of touched that we want to give and we want to do something, but, but you know what? When it comes down to making a practice, a commitment, a long-term plan in our budgeting, we don't do that very well. We really are not very good about it. We like the idea, but, but we don't like the idea about talking about giving, I guess, especially when it comes to our own personal finances, to be honest with you. And I'll I'll be honest with you and tell you it's my least favorite subject to preach on, and hell comes in second to this this topic, all right? So uh, you can kind of give you an idea of of where it is in my book. But the reality is, is that giving is kind of an essential part of our financial health. It really is. The Bible has over 2,500 verses that talk about money. And you have to wonder why, because it's such a big deal in everybody's life. It's kind of what uh, many of our lives just rotate around. Not only that, but we have the most generous Heavenly Father that you can imagine. I mean, just think for a moment about what God has given us. You think about the life that God has given us and our whole creation, and God said, this is yours. Now you go and you enjoy it, and you, give, you, know, you be a good steward, you care for it, you manage it this creation you have. And then even above and beyond that, Jesus Christ came, God's gift, to Savior the world. God gave us His only Son to come and die for us. What an incredible gift. And then God, on top of that, gave us His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. It's just overwhelming. And then on top of that, God gives us everything that we have today for America's living in the wealthiest nation in the world. And, and, and all these things that we have in our lives and our health and our family and all those things we got to understand they all come from God. Now, the question is, how can we be any less generous than God is? But here in America, the reality is that that giving is down, specifically to the church. Pastor and author John Dickerson says, the financial shortage is not a shortage of funds. It's a shortage of commitment. We do not believe in tithing or, for that matter, generous giving. More importantly, we do not believe Jesus' simple direct statement when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In fact, in our country, like Jesus said, our heart follows our our treasure or our focus. Our treasure is not in the kingdom of God. Our treasure is in our cars, in our credit cards, in our mortgages, and in our savings. And that's where our hearts are at. That's where our treasure is. Now, you know, this is a hard subject, but, but all of us understand that we struggle with that, including myself, so, so I'm right there with you, but let's talk about it. I think there are several reasons why we struggle with giving. For one of them, we're not content with what we have. Remember, uh, contentment was one of the, five, uh, the four pra- uh, principles we talked about, that we learn, need to learn to be content with the things God has given to us. Not only we, uh, are we not content, we often don't live on a budget Remember, we talked about last week about the biblical practice of a budget, and if you don't live on a budget and you only give God what you have at the end of the pay period, it's not going to be much in our house if you don't plan for it. We, we covet and we compete. We want immediate gratification. Many of us are mired in debt. Literally, we talked about debt-free living a few weeks ago, that, that we are in debt and we can't afford to give as we would like to. For some people we delay giving, you know, we've all done this, is things aren't good right now but they'll get better, you know, I'll be making more, I'll get out of debt or I'll get a better job or we'll both be working or whatever it is, we have those excuses. Some of us think, you know, we already give enough. We give enough. It's amazing to me, and, and I, I'm right there with you, it's amazing how big a $20 bill looks when you put it in the plate versus how, how small it looks when you're paying for lunch. It's a big thing, it's huge. For others, money and the things that we can buy make us feel safe and we don't want to lose our security. For others, we long for the good life. For others, we practice convenient Christianity. And let's just be honest sacrifice and giving is not convenient. But the bottom line, whether we want to admit it or not, is that we're greedy and we want to keep what we have for ourselves. Now, what's interesting about that is that the Bible lists greed as one of the seven deadly sins. And in one survey that was given, Uh, 78% of the people said that greed was the worst of those seven sins. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? But the problem is, is that we never ever see greed in our own lives. We see corporate greed, we see governmental greed, we see other people greedy, but we never see the subtle greed in our own lives that keeps us from being generous. Well, let's be honest and let's go to the Bible in Mark chapter 12, we're going to read a story here that you probably, and maybe you've heard before, but hopefully put a fresh spin on it to understand what Jesus thinks about giving. Mark chapter 12 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now when I read this, I thought, you know, it would make me a little uncomfortable to think about Jesus sitting beside me when I was putting in my offering. Well, you know what I mean? It would make me a little bit uncomfortable to have him there writing out my check. I would probably make it a little bigger than normal if he were sitting there, or when I was online, you know, and I was giving, it probably would be adding a few bucks to it there, uh, but, but the reality is that, you know, God knows everything, doesn't he? He might not be there in person, but he knows exactly, you know, what we're doing. He knows all about how we handle our money and how much we give, but in that day, things were a little bit different in how they gave. And so here's an occasion where Jesus is literally watching people give. In that day, they didn't sit in rows in church and, you know, and pass a bag or a plate, whatever it might be. They simply would walk by this chest that would be on the, in, in the temple on their daily route through the temple, and they would give as they worshiped. Now, these chests are kind of interesting. I never knew this. They were kind of shaped like trumpets. In other words, they had a a, a big a large mouth, and then they kind of tapered down into the chest for... Uh, a couple of reasons, we're going to see one in a moment, but one was probably practical so that people couldn't reach in and get the money out. <laughs> you know, some people might try to pull some out instead of putting something in. And, and so it was kind of built that way. And they were, these uh, trumpets were made out of metal, maybe out of brass or bronze in their design. And, uh, and so this is how they gave. And now in that day, obviously, there was no online giving. There were no, no debit cards. There were no checks. And there were no bills, you know, it was all about coin. Everything they had was in coinage. And so when they gave, they simply gave a, a money in, in coins, silver or gold. And as they walked by, they would toss their money in. One thing you see about this is that giving was fully expected. They understood that. That's why their giving was such a big part of their temple worship. It was a sign of their commitment and their faithfulness. And they understood down through time that they would have nothing were it not for God and God continues provision. So in this particular day, Jesus is just watching people people watching and they're giving and he recognized he recognized how much they gave now that's really interesting because in our day and age obviously we can we can pretend to give a lot. You know, you can stick your hand in and have nothing, or put your commitment card in there. You know, it, it's really easy. You're not trying to fool anybody in that day. It was really easy uh, uh, for them to understand exactly how much was giving. Why? Because wealthy people would throw in a handful of heavy coins into this metal chest and it would ring out. And people would know that they had been very generous. And so probably seeing Jesus sitting there, there were some who made a special effort to give a little bit more if they recognized who he was, but Jesus wasn't impressed with all that. In fact, he noticed a poor widow who timidly walked up and walked to the chest and threw in two small copper coins. I almost had the idea, you know, she probably stuck her hand as far as she could and just dropped them in because it was going to be noticeable that there wouldn't be a lot of sound that would come out of these. The words that's used here said they were small coins about as thin as a leaf. So they had been worn, you know, talking about rubbing coins together. She probably had worried over those coins and rubbed a little bit of, of a gold and, or copper or whatever they were off and, uh, and, and just having them, knowing what to do with them. But Jesus said that this woman gave more than all the others. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty while they gave out of their wealth. While she had very little, she knew that she had to give something. There was something else that kind of catches Jesus' eye that day, and it was the motivation of the people who gave their gift. That was pretty obvious to him as well. You have to wonder, why did the temple leaders build this special chest made of metal, shaped like a trumpet, in which people could throw their money? It was because it was a very obvious way for people to announce what they were giving. It was very obvious. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So people sometime would literally have a herald come blow a trumpet that they were about to give so people would recognize how much they were giving or their generosity. And not only that, but in that day, people who gave would do in a, in a way to draw attention. They would throw heavy coins at just the right angle. I'm figured, sure they had it figured out to, uh, to make the greatest sound and make it ring throughout the temple. And the problem was that their giving was motivated by pride. But the widow's giving was very different. She was motivated, while it had li- very little value, she was motivated by worship and by praise to God and she just wanted to honor him. And she did that. In fact, her generosity and sacrifice are going to be remembered all the way down through time. Nobody remembers what everybody else gave, but we all can recognize and know that this woman gave two little coins. And Jesus made a big deal about that. Why? Because it, it meant a lot, because of the motivation of her heart. There's one other thing that sticks out here, and that is devotion. Jesus said this woman gave all that she had to live on while the rich gave only a part of their great wealth. This, this woman gave more than they did because her gift cost her everything. In value, street value, maybe not that much, but to her it was everything. She was literally putting herself into God's hand for her next meal, where she would lay her head down that night, where she would, you know, her clothing, everything would, would, would be dependent upon God. See, Jesus said she gave it all, implying that she had no other support, no family, no shelter, no resources, no social security, any other lifeline. And unfortunately, in that day, widows were targets for the very people who made a big deal about giving a lot. Jesus talked about the Jewish leaders in that day who would devour widows' houses. In other words, they would exploit widows because they had no one to protect them. They would give For pride to be seen, and then try to steal from a poor widow. But here's the thing: this widow wasn't worried about all of this because her actions showed she had devotion and total trust that God was going to provide for her and protect her. You know, in looking at this story, there there's some really simple these words that we mentioned: expectation, motivation, and devotion are great things to think about when it comes to our giving. And remember that that Jesus does know about our giving. He knows if we give. He knows how much we give. He knows the attitude of the heart in which we give. So from this and other teachings of Jesus, we can learn some pretty simple lessons about giving, some real practical things. The first lesson is that God measures our giving not so much by what we give, but by the amount we keep for ourselves. God doesn't measure our giving by the amount. You know, It's it's not, oh, so-and-so gave this much money, but instead it's what we keep for ourselves and the attitude in which we do it. See, what we do with our money is extremely important to God. That's why Jesus talks so much about it. And what we keep for ourselves matters to Him because it indicates, in many ways, if He matters to us. What we set apart for God affects two things. First of all, it affects what we spend on ourselves. It limits that. When you give it to Him, you're not going to spend it on yourself, obviously. And secondly, it indicates whether or not God matters most in our lives. And that's why the Bible tells us that we ought to have a plan. That's why in this financial plan we've been talking about, that that it's just smart in our budgeting to budget in giving. It's wise. It's a part of being financially healthy. It indicates if God has what value that we place upon God. So we ought to plan our giving to reflect our trust in God. Here's the second lesson that we see, that nobody is too poor to give. Nobody's too poor to give. You know, We've all been in a situation in life that we think we could not give anything. I know I've been there, and you probably have been as well. You know, I, We can't do anything. Now, I want to tell you, I'm going to disagree with some financial advisors I've heard before. I've, I've heard advisors say, you know what, if you're struggling, you shouldn't give until you get you know, straightened up. I don't believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that one way to get straightened up financially is is to honor God, and so I advise people, you know what you need to do? You need to give. You need to give and then get God in it, because I I, I want God to be in not only when I give him, but also what I keep for myself. I want God's help. I want him to bless that, and I believe God does that. So This widow kind of blows the excuse out of the water that says that nobody can afford to give. Uh, She just gave everything, so regardless of our situation, we are never too poor to give something. Here's a third lesson. We will never learn to to give to God until we learn to trust God. We'll never learn to give until we learn to trust Him, because our giving is based on our trust. We almost get the idea here that this widow gave like this on a regular basis. I would say this widow probably had people in her life who told her, "Don't give everything you have away." That's just crazy to do that, but, but it seems like she just did this on a regular basis. Probably wasn't the first time, probably wouldn't be the last time that she gave everything away, but God provided for her, and she just trusted Him to take care of her. You know what's ironic, I think, sometimes is that, that we don't trust God. A few weeks ago, uh, Tony talked about trusting God. That's one of the principles in, in using our, our resources well. But what I think is strange sometimes is that we as Christians, many of us, we've trusted Him to save us, our souls, the most valuable thing that we have. We have put our souls in God's hands, but we are reluctant to put our finances in God's hands. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why can we not trust God with our resources, our money, as much as we trust Him with our souls? So the Bible says that giving to God is an important part of our personal financial health because it's an important part of a healthy relationship with God. And in many ways, it's one of the most practical, tangible, fundamental ways of showing God our level of commitment and trust. Now, one of the scriptures that always rings true to me in, uh, in studying this is in the book of Malachi. And you know, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and kind of right before that period of time when... God is silent for 400 years, and the reason why He's silent is because His people have turned their back on Him, and and they have lost their level of commitment. And so the book of Malachi is all about commitment. It's all about several difficult topics. One of them is about divorce, but another one is about money. And so in Malachi chapter 3, God says, "'Will a mere mortal rob God?' And yet you rob me, and yet you ask, "'How are we robbing you, God?' God says in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into your storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, one thing that jumps out to me, probably first, is the Lord Almighty. You know, when when God says, this is a Lord Almighty, there's a little bit of weight weight there, you know? God's making a pretty strong statement when the Lord Almighty has to come out uh, in, in verbiage to explain who's talking here. So God says, this is how it is. He's laying down the law of this. And God says our problem is that we we don't trust Him enough to give. We're not committed in that. And God speaks here of two types of giving. He talks about tithes and offerings. And the word tithe means, we've all heard this, it means 10%. God says 10% of everything that you make belongs to Him. Just cut and dry. God established this long ago and it just belongs to Him. And so He says, when you don't give me what is mine, then you are stealing from me. That's pretty true across the board. So if I give God $5, that's not a tithe unless I only made 50 bucks. And God says, this is how you give. You give the tithe first, and then anything above and beyond that is your offering. Now, some people believe that tithing is strictly an Old Testament commandment. But in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, woe to you leaders of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a 10th of your spices, your mint, your dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. There's the last statement that's really important. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, here's what they did in that day. You see those seeds, the dill and the mint and the cumin, they would count the seeds. A dill seed is extremely small. We used to plant these when I was a kid. We raised dill, but a deal seed is so small, but they would count the deal seeds out and give God one out of ten. I mean, they were so specific about that. Say we're so literal in this. And they thought that if they just obeyed the letter of the law, they were good. So they taught tithing and they personally tithe. But Jesus said, you know what? God wants that, of course, but he's also concerned with showing other things like mercy and justice and being faithful. So this is not really about how you give, this is more about what you're neglecting in life. But he says, "Don't neglect the former, the tithing. Uh, obey both. You know, practice both of those, because they're both important." You know, other people say, "Well, you know, this is just kind of in the Old Testament." But you know, God hasn't changed. What I think is interesting is in Malachi chapter three, two verses above this statement about giving, God says, "I, the Lord, do not change." <laughs> it's like I know you're going to suggest this, but this is not true. I don't change. God hasn't changed this from the OT to the new T, all right? So the tithe is biblical, and as we mature spiritually, our giving should be tithing and even beyond that. Now, note that God says to bring the tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was the temple, going back to where we began with Jesus sitting and watching people bringing their giving into the storehouse. That's where it was brought into that day. So they were to bring it with them as they came to worship. And that day, tithes were used to provide four things, four purposes. First of all, provide for the priests and Levites, the people who had devoted their lives to serving in ministry. Secondly, it was to provide for the prophets, which would be the missionaries, the people who were reaching out with the Word of God. Thirdly, to provide for widows and orphans, the benevolence. Fourthly, to provide for care and upheap of the temple, in other words, the building where they worship. And then fifthly, for ministry needs and outreach. And what's interesting is, as it should be, till today, resources given to the church are used in these five ways continually. So the area of giving is, the, uh, is interesting, even though it's painful. It's the only time in the Bible where God says, put me to the test Nowhere else does God say, test me, except right here in, in this uh, scripture, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You know what? God, long, God longs for us to discover the, His providence and to see how much when we're in His will, how much we can be blessed by giving. That's what God wants us to experience. It's for our best. He promises that our giving, our faithfulness, will result in more blessings. And let me just say this. I have never heard of one single person who tithed faithfully being anything but blessed. I have never heard anybody come back and say, you know what, that was a bad deal. I should have never done that. That was a mistake. You know, we've even offered that. We, uh, it's not a gimmick. It's just testing God. We, we've said, you know what, if you give and you tithe and you come back and go, you know what, it didn't work for me. Uh, we'll give your money back. Never had anybody ask for that back. But, uh, but I want to challenge you to think about that, to think about not only being obe- obedient, but also just testing God. Put God to the test. I-, I-, I think He's up for it. And God says, if you do that, I will open the floodgates of heaven, and I will pour out so much that there will not be enough to store it. The people I know who are good tithers will testify that, God is, that God's good like that. And he will do exactly what he says. We don't have to worry that God might fail. God said, I'm going to protect you and protect your flocks, your, your crops. I'm going to make you prosper. Just try me. It all comes down to obedience. So as we mature in our faith and learn to trust God more, we want to give more to him. We want to do all that we can. Now, the Bible says that we ought to not only give faithfully, tithe, but it also says that we ought to consider how we might do more than that. In 2 uh, Corinthians, Paul's writing to the Christians there who had already agreed to not only give, but also to give beyond, a special gift to some other Christians who were suffering. And he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God says you need to give, and then even to give above and beyond that. Test me, he says. Because there will be special needs like these suffering Christians, these persecuted Christians who needed help, needed resources. And God says, when you give, I want you to give willfully, even cheerfully. And the word cheerfully here means hilarious. You ought to laugh as you write out your check. You ought to just kind of giggle to yourself. You, know? you ought to be thrilled that you're able to participate and do this because we're giving offering to God. We're Participating with God, we're joining hands with God, and we're providing blessings for people. And you know what? The Bible says it ought to be a sacrifice. You know, we always heard you need to give till it hurts. Well, it ought to hurt. It ought to hurt us a little bit because that's how God gave it. Hurt God when He gave His Son, right? It hurt God when He when He sacrifices for us. So it doesn't matter if it hurts a little bit. It ought to be a sacrifice. Here's what I believe: when we are faithful and we follow biblical principles. And we, I'm going to one more time cover those gratitude, contentment, humility, and trust. Four principles that we need to develop in our mind, and then follow the Bible practices of, of debt-free living, saving, budgeting, and tithing. When we do that, the result is going to be blessings, and I believe truly living the dream. Is life going to be perfect? No, it's not. We're not promised that. Are we going to struggle over money? Probably so. Most people do in life. It's just part of it. But the reality is that we've opened our lives up to the blessings of God and to live the dream that God wants for us. And what happens when you do this and surrender to God is several things happen. The quality of your life improves. The stress kind of eases out. You have less conflict over money because you determine you're controlling money, it's not controlling you. You got a healthier marriage. Ever had a fight over money with your spouse? It happens sometimes. Not only that. You sleep better at night because you know that you're in the will of God. There's some great blessings for it besides just being obedient to what God says. You know, we began this morning by talking about the generosity of God, that He's the greatest giver of all. And I want to wrap up by using that verse of Scripture that, that I just love in John three sixteen, that shows us the extent of God's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We can have life beyond this life, eternal life through Christ, but right now we can have abundant life, the life that God wants us to live if we are faithful, not only in our giving, but in other ways as well, just following the method and the model of Christ. We know God's the greatest giver. We know we'll never match the gift that God has given to us, but we can show our obedience and our faith and our maturity by understanding and being giving generous as God has taught us to do. This morning, we're going to wrap up our time together, wrap up this series as well. I hope that you discover and find the life that God longs for you to live, Live living the dream, living the life that he's planned for us, and we discover that comes, begins in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, there's a couple ways that you can respond. One of those ways is just to step forward. I'm going to be up front here during this next song. And we can chat a little bit if God's really pulling at your heart. Or maybe you want to just sit down and have a conversation. I would love to do that. Just check that on on one of the connection cards. You can grab one back at the front and and turn that in if you want to do that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, we just rejoice over seeing Lucas, this young man who uh, has so much excitement for for you and for Jesus, who's so concerned about the world. God, we know you have a great future for him. We're excited about uh, what you're going to do through his life. God, we know that you have a great plan for all of us. And Lord, um, it begins with discovering Jesus, the greatest gift of all. And God, then it continues down in areas uh, like like dealing with our family and living in relationships, right? But God, also even to the most practical things of, of our money. God, thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, that you tell us how to live, how to be in your will, and then you're faithful. We love you, Lord. We worship you and we ask these things in Christ's name.